What's going on, everyone, and welcome into this edition of Be Safe Daily Live. As tonight, for the first time in 2023, we are talking about a St. Louis Cardinals winning streak. That's right, three wins in a row. It hadn't happened in 2023 until this night as the Cardinals defeat the Chicago Cubs 6-4 to four up at Wrigley Field. They claim a series for the first time in a while. Someone can get that for me. I don't even remember the last time the Cardinals won a series off the top of my head. You had the grueling road trip. You had several instances where they just had to win the last game of a series to avoid a sweep. And, of course, they played those two L.A. teams and weren't able to avoid a sweep in either of those series. So big for the Cardinals, especially against a division rival and uh, the return of Wilson Contreras, everything going on with him as it pertains to the Cardinals and uh, rejoining the action there at Wrigley Field for the first time as an opposing player. A lot of emotions probably for Contreras and Good to see his Cardinals able to get the first two of this series. They're now 13-24 and 24 on the season, making their way back toward 500. It's going to be a long journey, but it's one that uh, it had to start basically now, I think. If you had hopes and, and still maintain hopes of the Cardinals potentially playing some October baseball, I can give my thoughts about that if you really want them. Um, you may be surprised to hear that I'm still pretty optimistic with regard to what the Cardinals might be able to do. And teams like the Brewers and Pirates, by the way, in recent days have only helped that opinion to be formed. I don't think anybody else is running away with the NL Central. And so it might sound crazy. I'm sure if you looked at the live odds or whatever, it would say the Cardinals are a long shot to be able to win the division at this point. I honestly don't think it's that crazy. I still think they have the best roster in the Central. Uh, I do think on the pitching side, there are things that need to be worked on, whether you blame Wilson Contreras for a lot of the issues with the rotation or not, and I don't. I think it's more about the execution of the pitchers themselves that would need to get going to get this rotation on track the way it needs to be. I still believe, though, that there's enough in there in terms of talent to be able to get it on track to an extent that can at least get the offense in these games and allowing them to do what they did tonight with some late runs, a push in the latter innings, the ninth, the Cardinals played a couple of runs, and they had really a long stretch in this game where they did not score. Innings four through eight, goose eggs. Uh, they had the, the the reliever Assad for the Cubs that came in. Uh, you saw a very quick hook tonight for Tyone, who didn't pitch well. But then uh, Merriweather gets the Cubs out of that third, and then it was Assad there for uh, into six different innings that he pitched. The Cardinals finally got to him late, though, and we're able to get it done, thanks to Paul DeYoung. How about Paul DeYoung at Wrigley Field? It seems like maybe half of his career home runs have been in this ballpark. Uh, he has come up with some big-time clutch hits for the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. Tonight was no exception. And don't look now, but he's OPSing over 1,000 for the season. He's got a pretty good batting average. He's hit for power. I don't know how sustainable this is going to be. Paul DeYoung hitting 350 with an OPS north of 1,000. Goes two for three tonight with obviously the big home run and had another RBI hit in this game. I don't know if it's sustainable at this point, but certainly the version of Paul DeYoung that the Cardinals are seeing is one that they will welcome as a guy that's hitting north, you know, toward the bottom of their lineup on a daily basis. That's always, to me, been the important aspect of DeYoung. It's like if he's in a role where it seems like he's relied upon, he's batting clean up as he was there for some years, batting in the middle of the order, and then he struggles it can be a real crater situation when it comes to the Cardinals and the lineup and just feeling like you're not getting the productivity that you need. But when he's patting down in the order and he's in sort of kind of the, the, you turn the lineup over after the one through five and then the next group can be 
run producers on their own, if those guys in the sixth spot or seventh spot, whatever the case might be, can get on base. DeYoung can be a guy that drives guys in in the bottom half of the order. And so, man, you're just going to keep riding him if he continues to perform like this. But let me know what you think about Paul DeYoung. I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions about Jack Flaherty. I've got some thoughts there about his latest outing. And so I'm just probably going to wait until I'm asked about it to, to dive in on that. I want to try to make a habit of getting to the comments a little more quickly so that I can get to everybody as uh, best as I possibly can. Going to check the phone here real quick. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the comments. Brent starts us off asking, uh, so Paul DeYoung is back now, I guess. Shrug emoji. Yeah, again, like I, I feel like Paul DeYoung is still obviously going to go through some of those stretches uh, where he struggles. I saw coming into the game tonight, or at least I heard this on the radio broadcast while I was taking a bit of a walk early in the game. They had mentioned that DeYoung was like one for his last seven, and I remembered that the one hit that he did have was a double last night. And that was a pitch that the the reliever just left smack dab over the middle of the plate. And Paul DeYoung had no choice but to hammer it as he did into left for a double. DeYoung has always done that. He has always been a guy that can take a bad pitch, take a mistake by the pitcher, and do something with it. He's never had a problem with that. DeYoung, though, when you start to pitch him effectively, he can have his struggles. And so when I heard, okay, one for his last seven, that's not that notable, right? It's not like he's been lighting the world on fire over the last couple of games, but did have the one pitch that he took for a mistake. But again, Paul DeYoung does have the power in his bat. He's got the ability to take mistakes deep, and he can do some things with these in pitches as well. He put a good swing on the ball tonight to be able to get the Cardinals the lead that they so desperately needed in this game. And so I still feel like, is he going to hit 350? Probably not. Is he going to OPS north of a, of 1,000? A, a no, I don't think so. And I also noticed that somebody had put this on Twitter yesterday, that if DeYoung has an OPS above, I think he said 750 with 400 plate appearances, this dude's going to Venmo me $1,000 at the end of the season. And I didn't even have to put anything up to do it. So I thought that was fun, exciting for me to to be in this situation now. I, ju- I think the one issue will be the plate appearances. I don't know, 400 with the injury that he had at the beginning of the year. Not sure if he'll pull that off. But Paul DeYoung, like, whether he's back or not, I still say Cardinals fans enjoy the ride. That's really the bottom line with this Um if he's a productive guy in the bottom of the order, Cardinals fans just enjoy that, and, and the Cardinals certainly will. Their lineup, is it's got a different dynamic to it. It's deeper if Paul DeYoung is doing what, he, what he's doing right now. I mean, there's no denying it that he's been really strong. I was kind of questioning the notion that they would have him at, at shortstop instead of Tommy Edmond, and, uh, you know, part of sort of the, uh, the, the downplay effect of Wilson Contreras not being the catcher for the time being could be that you see fewer opportunities for a guy like Tommy Edmond, right? Because you got to play Gorman pretty effectively, pretty frequently at uh, second base against right-handed pitching. And then Edmond, you know, it's, it's going to kind of remain to be seen how often he gets to play if Paul DeYoung is in there on a regular basis. It's not the end of the world, but I do think it is something to mention when it comes to the Contreras thing and just the other little tangible impacts that it can have on a lineup, on a roster that's just not going to get to behave the way that you thought it would to begin the season. But you like what Paul DeYoung is doing, and for now, you're just going to keep riding him. There's no doubt about that, especially when you play at Wrigley, right? Like, he's got to be in the lineup every day at this ballpark. He is, uh, and I don't even think the batting average has been so incredible. I think he had like a 213 average against the Cubs. I don't think that was isolated to Wrigley that I heard on the broadcast tonight. But, you know, low average, but a bunch of extra base hits, and obviously the home runs, just continue to flow his direction in that ballpark. So pretty impressive stuff. Um, 
great that we start off with a Paul DeYoung comment. And I root for Paul DeYoung, right? Like, Paul DeYoung's not a bad guy. He's not the kind of guy that, you, you know, you, you feel icky about him producing. There are some of those guys in Major League Baseball. I'm not saying that there are on the Cardinals. But throughout the game, you might have some certain guys that you go, eh, I could take him or leave him with just the persona that he puts out. Uh, but Paul DeYoung is not that way. Paul DeYoung is, is a, a humble guy, the kind of guy you really do want to root for, I think. And, and Cardinals fans are hopefully able to get back into the flow of things, rooting on, cheering on Paul DeYoung, despite admittedly some of the struggles that he's had uh, in recent years. 22 likes on the stream. Let's see if we can get it up to 25, maybe 30. Wouldn't that be fun? All right, Allison says, yeah, retweeted three in a row. Love to see it. Rhino says, Shafe, just a quick in and out. Looks like Jack's problems aren't Wilson related. LOL. Thanks for the stream. Rhino's going to catch up in the morning, and you'll be able to do that on YouTube. Or like I said, if you just want to go audio only, uh, it'll be great quality over on Spotify because I've got the, uh, the, the Audacity stream running, and that's native to my laptop. It's not even over the internet. So no glitching uh, to worry about on that front if you go with Spotify tomorrow. So let's talk about Jack Flaherty, though. Um, he got lucky tonight. That's my that's my main takeaway when it comes to the outing that Flaherty had. It's not that he pitched terribly, but I think he pitched probably a little worse than three runs allowed in five innings. To allow 12 base runners, seven hits, and five walks in five innings, and to only walk away with three earned runs as the damage, you did something right, and you probably had some things go your way. And Jack Flaherty certainly did tonight. I can think of a few different examples where he got out of it with a double play ball that was very well-timed, and he deserves credit for being able to induce those double plays. I believe he leads the league in double plays induced this season. Part of the reason for that is the the massive amount that he has had to get because of the base runners that have been on whenever he has been pitching. The traffic has been substantial for Jack Flaherty this season, and so it stands to reason that, yeah, he's going to need to pitch around some of that if he's going to try and get even somewhat remotely deep into games. Tonight, he doesn't get very deep into the game, and I thought there was a chance they would pull Jack Flaherty in the fifth inning as he got into damage there, was able to get the final out of the fifth on the flyout by Saya Suzuki. That was to deep left field, guys. And Jack Flaherty, if you go back and watch the at-bat and you watch where Andrew Kisner was setting up, he was missing location, even not just isolated to that at-bat, the entire inning leading up to that A-B. He walked a couple of guys to load the bases, he was just not really on point with his command and, and the location on those pitches. Be curious to see kind of what he says after the uh, the game and the post game. And uh, I imagine Bally will put some of that on TV. I'll go back and watch it later uh, when they put it out on Twitter, I'm sure. But I think his evaluation would have to be that he got away with a few things tonight, right? Uh, had the home run that he gave up. And I know I, I could probably guess that he's going to say, well, he beat me backside. That's their favorite term when when a guy goes opposite field. And it's almost to, like, dismiss that it was a legitimate swing by Christopher Morrell. Not to say that Flaherty has said that about this particular home run. He's said it. Other pitchers have talked about uh, it in those terms when a guy goes oppo on him, that it's just one you tip your cap and it's it's not a reflection of you as a pitcher, which I don't agree with necessarily because if guy homers on you, he homers on you, and they can put a good swing on a bad pitch or a good swing on a good pitch. Those things can happen either direction. But it just cracks me up that, oh, well, it was an, it was backside, so it doesn't mean anything. Uh, we'll see if Flaherty says that tonight or not. But uh, like I said, I have no knowledge of whether or not he will because I'm here talking to you instead of uh, listening or, or keeping myself glued to Twitter. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But that being said, five walks and five innings, he's allowed, uh, you know, he's on one of those leaderboards. I forget who tweeted that out. But in terms of Cardinals history or recent Cardinals history, the walk rate over the first X amount of games has been troubling for Flaherty. And it didn't get any better tonight when you give up five and five innings. Uh, the seven hits, I mean, the contact was was somewhat substantial against him at times. Um, and there's also the fact of his velocity on the fastball was down. And this is something that we've been talking about with Flaherty, I think, throughout the season, where it's like he's had to sacrifice one for the other. He's either going to have good velocity or the, the type of velocity on his fastball that you come to expect from Jack Flaherty, or it seems like he's having to dial it back a little bit to try and hone in the command. And he's searching, he's in between. It's been the case for him all year. And I don't even think this is exclusive to this season. Uh, really, the last couple of years, it has seemed like Jack Flaherty, when he's been healthy and on the mound and pitching, you have seen him going through these times where command is just not there for him, or then he gets into those two-strike counts and in the past has begun to nibble around the zone, which leads to walks. This year, it's been a combination of the nibbling that has led to walks with maybe he just doesn't know where it's going, and so you better hope there's the movement on the pitches that allows you to get away with some things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. And so you've seen him sometimes not get away with it. He's hung some pitches. He's given up some home runs, and he's walked a ton of guys. The fact that he's been able to get the double plays to to keep his ERA for the most part, I say intact, it's still not even remotely close to what you expect from Flaherty at 6.18 after tonight's performance. But it's better than it could be. I mean, the obviously the 10 runs he gave up last week, is going to inflate that beyond just uh, what you actually have seen from him game in and game out. But it still has not been a good start to the season for Jack Flaherty. And tonight was another example of that. Yes, he was able to grind it out and keep the Cardinals in the game. Uh, I mean, I think finally the Cardinals had some luck go in their direction instead of against them. They have had some things that have been very unlucky during this bad run to begin the season. Tonight, that there was not a case of that. Jack Flaherty got a ton of luck on his side and to see that Suzuki fly ball not leave the yard for a grand slam was a surprise. Off the bat, I thought, man, this ball might be gone, and uh, the Cardinals are in trouble here with a with another blown lead. Wasn't the case. He's able to get out of it, but my impression of Flaherty is still that he's searching for it right now. And the more we watch him this season, and I know a lot of people want to connect the Wilson Contreras stuff to Jack Flaherty, I just want to reiterate that we don't have any tangible proof of that or uh, confirmation that, yeah, Flaherty was one of the guys that complained or anything like that. We don't know that to be true. Uh, they, they, we really don't know a lot about how the Contreras situation came to be. But I do look at Jack Flaherty and the, the, the way the last couple of years have gone for him and now what we're seeing at the beginning of his 2023. And I cannot help but think that, A, he's not going to be a Cardinal next year uh, because he may want to go somewhere else, or more than that, the Cardinals may say, we don't know what kind of contract to give a guy who has just had this level of inconsistency, whether it's with performance or health. It's really hard to kind of put a number on Jack Flaherty right now, to be honest with you. But I think when he goes somewhere else, just be prepared for him to find it, because the talent is still there for Flaherty. Uh, the, the stuff is good. 
I just, for whatever reason right now, he's not connecting. And he's kind of running out of time to connect as a Cardinal because if he doesn't re-sign in the offseason, he's going to be somewhere else doing it. And a lot of people say, oh, it'll be Los Angeles. It'll be the Dodgers. And I say, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, that very well could be the case. And if he goes there, I mean, it'd be the best place for him because I think they'd be able to uh, just hone in on some of the things that he's been struggling with. Their pitching coaching staff has seemed to really do a good job with guys and uh, getting the most out of them. So remains to be seen. Don't want to spend too much time speculating on that. Long way to go this season for the Cardinals. Um, but I was just having this thought, that, like, man, Cardinals fans are going to be pissed if and when next year Jack Flaherty goes somewhere else and he becomes, I mean, more more of a watchable, must-see kind of pitcher. Because right now he's hard to watch the way he's operating. And that's not to say that he was terrible today. Again, five innings and three runs. Cardinals have had far worse starts from guys this season. That being said, it's just inning to inning, it can be difficult to watch because you feel like you're laboring there just watching him labor, where he's trying to grind through some traffic on the bases and he has done a nice job to his credit of not letting some situations get the better of him and get frustration level up. He's able to grind through a lot of these situations, at least today he was, to be able to keep the Cardinals in the game. But man, it, uh, it, it can be taxing to watch him go about it and the the numbers bear that out. I mean, 6.18 ERA, he's he's the kind of guy that, you know, he takes seriously and wants to do well and gets upset when he doesn't do well. That's an ERA that tells you, like, if you've got some criticisms of Jack Flaherty, he might not like it, but it's, it's just reality at this point. The way he's performing is not up to par, and it's not. I mean, you talk about Flaherty, the question coming into the year was, could he be the number one that the Cardinals really need? Could he be that ace that they've been looking for? Uh, if he's fully healthy. And, I mean, unequivocally, the answer to that has been no so far. The numbers bear that out. This is not anything, you know, it's not anything other than just looking at the numbers and the performances and saying it's not been enough. I did the same thing yesterday when it came to Miles Michael. It's four and a third innings. Yeah, you only gave up one run, but you got to be more efficient if the Cardinals are going to get where they want to go this season because you cannot continue to ask the bullpen what Ali Marmel has been forced to ask his bullpen to do the last two nights. And to their credit, they deserve a lot of it. They've been able to get it done. Tonight, huge efforts from Chris Stratton, uh, Giovanni Gallegos closing this thing out. Palante gave up the home run, but he was able to give him a little bit of length and a couple outs there that were pretty important in the middle of this game. Like, that's kind of your B squad out of the bullpen. And the reason you have to get four full innings out of those guys was because, well... Jack didn't get efficient tonight and wasn't able to get deep into this game, got himself into trouble, was able to get out of it in the fifth, but used up a lot of bullets. He was up over 90 pitches. There's no way you were going to send him back out there beyond that. But then Miles Michaelis last night used up uh, with his short outing a lot of the the primary arms that you look to go to in your bullpen. So that has been a group that has been taxed. I will continue to talk about it because I don't think it's going away that the Cardinals are going to struggle to, to climb out of this deficit that they've built for themselves in the division if they don't get more from their starting pitching. And I'm not just talking about limiting runs, which is important. It matters. But you've also got to figure out a way to get deeper into games because the bullpen's not going to hold up over six months. Like, we've already seen signs that they're, you know, they're not an infallible group. They're going to give up some runs at times, too. But the more rested and ready to go that, that they are and the more fresh they can be, the more success you're probably going to have. And right now, you're, you're just asking a lot of that group for early May. It's a lot to ask. Uh, Allison asked for the thoughts on the crowd at Wrigley. I didn't really notice a lot about the crowd tonight. You'd have to be more specific. Um, but I think it's funny that they boo Contreras because I think it like adds to his powers, if anything. 
But uh seemed like a pretty normal Wrigley crowd to me. Those those Wrigley games, when you get it tied and it's 4-4 four to four and they're making another pitching change, it's just like there's nothing like that environment at Wrigley in those kinds of atmospheres. Um, so I enjoyed, you know, I, I just kind of enjoyed the ambiance of that. Uh, obviously not being at the ballpark. Would like to get out there this season, uh, but we'll see if I'm able to. Childish Scambino says, great win, great series win. Yet the Cardinals with the win tonight do clinch the series. Glad to have seen a lot less Howard Stern, Baba Bowie stuff in these last few games. Yeah, man, it seemed like there for a while it would just be, if it's not one thing, it's another for the Cardinals when it comes to late innings and having leads and giving them up. Very calming impact of the bullpen over the past few games. And I know Palante gives one up, and you don't like to see that because he goes down to AAA after he had given up the grand slam after a Flaherty start a few turns ago. And uh, we remember the meme that was born from that with Jack Flaherty kind of rolling his eyes and looking out. That's how everybody felt about the Cardinals at the time. And so who could blame Jack Flaherty uh, for that reaction? But to see Palante give up another home run, I'm sure he is disappointed in himself in performance. But uh, he did get the Cardinals some outs tonight. And, I mean, Chris Stratton, guys, I think is uh, really one of the more notable performances so far this season. Cardinals have not really used him in leverage. They've avoided it, if at all possible. Tonight, it was unavoidable, and so they had to go to Stratton in a pretty key spot in this game. He gets that big strikeout to end an inning. He throws another inning, an inning and a third, gave up a walk and a hit, but two strikeouts. Maybe that spin rate is really starting to come, too, and uh, Chris Stratton's getting the most out of his stuff right now. 2.95 ERA on the season. Good to see from him and uh, Giovanni Gallegos, by the way. Had his second save of the year, clean ninth inning. His ERA is still only 2.63, and that's notable given the the rough night that he had the other night at Bush Stadium last week. So good to see from the bullpen. But again, Cardinal starters are going to absolutely have to give this guy or this group, I should say, more if they're going to be able to sustain the quality performances we've seen the last two nights from that bullpen. Allison says can't stay long. Uh, sleep is needed to deal with fifth graders in May. I believe that. I've, I've done some substitute teaching at the high school level, and I cannot fathom being in a fifth grade classroom. So Godspeed to you, Allison. But should we be worried about Jack? Looks like his issues are not Wilson related. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, I would say don't be worried about Jack, but maybe lower your expert expectations for Jack Flaherty, because I don't think he's going to be, you know, rising all of the sudden up to a level beyond just a middle of the rotation guy. And the numbers right now, if you're above a six ERA, you're not even in a rotation most of the time. And so, uh, people are going to wonder, like, is, is Jack Flaherty going to get pulled? Should they do? Should they make a move? No. Uh, the talent is too significant, I think, to pull him from the rotation for these performances. Um, but the fact that those questions are even being asked, I think, tells you kind of how far it's gotten with Jack Flaherty. He's got to be better. He just has to be able to perform at a higher level. The Cardinals expect more of him. He knows the Cardinals need more of him. And there's really not even a whole lot else you can say other than, no, it's not a Wilson Contreras thing. It is a pitch execution thing and... Just a, maybe a mechanical thing when it comes to Jack Flaherty. I saw or heard, I should say, Ricky Horton make that assertion, kind of wondering if his mechanics were off uh, at a point in tonight's game when he was getting behind early in counts. Like I said, it's kind of grueling to just watch Jack Flaherty pitch. Um, he's just not been able to be that consistent guy for the team this season. It's not fun to beat a dead horse, but start after start, we're seeing the same things from Jack Flaherty. And it's almost like the mentality is is – Close to being there, I still feel like, for him. I've seen a better mentality from him this year than in other times. That being said, when a start goes haywire on him, that that mentality after the game can still be, you know, you see that frustration come out, which is fine. 
That's just his personality and, and the emotion that he wears when he plays this game. But to just expect it to turn around all of a sudden for Flaherty, I think is probably wishful thinking at this point. Um, there has to be, I do think there has to be something that has to give for it to turn around. He's got to find that moment, whether it's a, a, a trick with his mechanics or a mentality thing on the mound. Um, the execution is just not, I mean, we're over a month into the season, close to a month and a half into the season, uh, more than 20% of the way through. We're just not seeing it from Flaherty at this point, and it's not like it's early. We can can the it's early talk. Um, he's gonna Now, I will say this. In 2019, when he hit his stride, he didn't really hit his stride until middle of the summer. And so it's not impossible that he could turn it around, but it's hard for me to sit here and pinpoint and pick at and try and predict what it would take for Flaherty to turn it around. Uh, I think you're just going to be holding your breath through a lot of his starts right now until further notice, which is unfortunate. It really is um, because the Cardinals need him. There's no doubt about that. Joel says, can't not be stoked for Jay. I assume that's the young, maybe. Um, Jay, if it's Jack, I I don't know how stoked you are for him. Didn't get the win, right? Uh, he was in line for the win, but then Palante gave up the homer. I don't know if Jack rolled his eyes about that or not. Um, Trevor would indicate that the young is the best player on the team named Paul. Um, and I would say that's still not true because Paul Goldsmith has had great numbers this year. The power has just not been very consistent, so that's kind of unfortunate. But long season, I think Goldie's numbers will be there by the end of it, not to worry, at least in my opinion. Jared says 7-8-9 hitters won this game, and good job by Stratton, too. Yeah, we talked about Stratton, but let's dive into the 7-8-9 hitters. Uh, they combined for five hits and 11 at-bats. We're talking about DeYoung, Carlson, and Andrew Kisner. How about Kisner? Uh, had the double, I believe it was, and uh, the second double, for that matter, on the uh, the pitching wedge into shallow right field, ends up scoring a run uh, after the Carlson. Uh, I thought Carlson was maybe going to take one yard. He ends up with a triple on that. Really nice to see everyday Dylan come through in that spot because I was a I was a little bit worried for a moment there that my uh, my everyday Dylan stunting that I have been doing on a regular basis here on the stream and on Twitter at bshafer12. I was a little bit concerned that we were going to have to to talk about a bleak moment because he took a step back on that play in uh, the bottom of the eighth inning that I think he could have gotten to that ball if he hadn't misjudged the pop-up off the bat. Uh, ended up just being a single, and uh, after walking a batter, I think, later in that inning, Chris Stratton was able to escape. But, yeah, that was a moment where I thought, good to see Dylan end up hitting the ball with authority once again. Just give the guy the opportunity. And it, it's fun now. It's the everyday Dylan hashtag, and we'll keep using it, obviously. Um, but by default, he's going to be an everyday player now that you've got no Jordan Walker around. Burleson's sort of been relegated uh, to a bench role, which I think is right if you look at the numbers. And certainly uh, Carlson versus Burleson, which, again, is just one of those things that, like, I still feel like the Cardinals are in good shape, and I do believe Ali Marmol is a good manager I don't hear as many people calling for his head over the last three days necessarily as the Cardinals have gotten into this winning streak. But there have been some things that, I, and I can't always tell if it's the front office or if it's Ollie Marmol that's really committed to some of these bits. But, like, the fact that he repeated on multiple occasions that, yeah, that final roster spot, our decision uh, came down to Carlson versus Yepes, not Carlson versus Burleson. It just blew my, or I should say Burleson versus Yepes. Blew my mind. Dylan Carlson, there's not, a, there's never a world where the Cardinals weren't going to have Dylan Carlson on this roster. I refuse to believe it. And as much as I think Ollie Marmol is a really good manager, those things, I'm just like, 
that doesn't make sense. The Cardinals were way too low. And again, that as we've seen, if you read back and listen back to some of the things that have been said by Marmel over the past few days about Contreras, I'm telling you, it's not all just coming from Ali Marmel. The Cardinals are given some mixed signaling because I think they're making it up as they go along. I've, I've said that multiple times. When it comes to this decision to have Contreras sidelined from being the catcher, this is not something that Marmel came up with on his own and said, hey, you know what, might be fun. No, this was an edict from from upstairs, and I think there may have been some other instances of that. It's hard to always parse through if it's just an ollie decision, and really there is no such thing as just an ollie decision. And I don't mean to say that, yes, the front office is making out the lineup card, although in this case they may be keeping Contreras out of the lineup card at catcher, but it also may be something that Ollie supports and is on board with the plan that they have uh, going forward with this situation. But there have been a few situations, and one of them was just the the general disdain that I would say the Cardinals held for Dylan Carlson to begin this season. And maybe disdain is not the right word or the fair word, and that's that's putting too, uh, too much of a critical eye on the whole thing uh, because really the Cardinals, anytime I've asked Ollie Marmel, they've said, no, Dylan's gone about this the right way. And we really, you know, we really have hopes for him and we believe in him. And he said all the right things, but it's just like it, some of it just has not really made sense to me with the the way they have sort of dismissed him. And another example of that, it's not an Ollie Marmel example, but it's a front office example, is the way that Andrew Kisner was dismissed. And I get it because if you look on Cardinals Twitter, everybody hates Andrew Kisner. Not me, but I know that a lot of people have been soured on the guy primarily because of what he does at the plate, right? And this is very easy to diagnose. I'll be Twitter's therapist on this. Last year, what did the Cardinals get out of their catcher position offensively? Nothing. Squat. Yachty was hurt for half the year, didn't produce offensively. Kisner didn't produce offensively. It was a a black hole in the lineup. And when you've got Andrew Kisner having the spring that he had this year, and then he comes into the season and is not performing offensively, it stands to reason that everybody's going to, when the pitchforks were out at their mightiest and they were being held at their highest, Andrew Kisner was going to take some of that shrapnel. But man, the idea, and there were people that I respect proposing it less than a week ago, saying, hey, when you make all these roster moves that the Cardinals clearly need right now, Andrew Kisner, man, he's one of them, DFA or option him, bring up Trace Barrera. Let's have a change there. And I was like, I'm telling you, it's wrong. It's not. It, you can't do it because they rely on Andrew Kisner as a catcher. I didn't even know all this Contreras stuff was about to happen, but I did know that I had seen enough to know that the pitchers on this team respect and trust Andrew Kisner. And clearly right now they do not trust Contreras. And so when you you combine those two things together, wow, uh, good thing they still have Andrew Kisner around. But now he's starting to come through with a little bit of swagger and confidence at the plate. Two for four tonight with the two doubles. Yes, one of them was a pitching wedge into right, but the other one was a well-struck ball pulled to left field. And Andrew Kisner now with the batting average up over 200. It's not saying a lot. OPS 620. But, I mean, we've got a lot of Cardinals in this lineup that we're looking at with an OPS in the 600s. So you take what Andrew Kisner is giving you offensively right now from your nine-hole. Again, he's your nine-hole batter. And a lot of people would say the problem with Contreras not being the catcher is that Kisner now by default has to be in the lineup on a daily basis. And no, they shouldn't give Trace Pereira a start almost ever. He's there, honestly, like we already know, the Cardinals are far gone beyond the notion that we're going to see a efficient use of this roster. It's not. It's not efficient. The bench, they're not using it efficiently. Uh, they had Taylor Motter on it for eight days and didn't play him. So 
we're we're well past whether they're going to use the roster efficiently. But I look at Barrera's presence, and honestly, it's just in case they need to make a drastic decision late in the game to pinch hit or pitch run for Andrew Kisner that they could bring in Barrera if they had to. It's asinine, by the way, because you have a catcher on your roster. It's Contreras. The fact that they're putting the kid gloves on him and saying he can't even potentially come in for those situations in a desperate need uh, is crazy, but I also understand it because you don't want to lose the DH for the rest of the game, which is what would happen and what did happen uh, before they brought Barrera up. That was kind of when this whole thing came to a head, I think, um, prior to Saturday is when they pinch hit for Kisner late in the game and you know you lose the DH if the Cardinals end up doing some damage and you go into extra innings. Um, obviously, it didn't end up coming to pass that the spot came up again, but I think that sort of thing triggered the Cardinals realizing, like, if we're not going to trust Contreras because they hadn't started him in multiple days in a row, if we're not going to trust him, something's got to give here, and I think that's when it all came to a head. But I just want to give some love to Andrew Kisner because people have been down on him, and I understand why. The offensive production has been pretty putrid from him uh, prior to the recent days that he's had, and I'm going back to last year including that. However, does this whole Contreras thing not shed a light on how the team, at least, I don't know if the fan base agrees, but how the team views the catcher position. And I think it's an admission by the team that they messed up. They prioritized the wrong things when it came to catcher. Now, they won't maybe admit that they did that, but by signing Wilson Contreras and arguably jumping into the Wilson Contreras contract, once you thought, oh, wow, the Oakland A's are asking a lot for Sean Murphy, guess that's not going to work. The Cardinals decided it wasn't even an option and we've talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating. The Cardinals decided it was not even an option to let it play out with Oakland to see if maybe they'll lower their asking price and the Cardinals can get it to a point where they're comfortable with a deal. You know, they had, they had spit back some players, like choose two of these players, and somehow Nolan Gorman was on that list. So that was a faux pas by Mo. I had given him a lot of credit before of, hey, we thought Nolan Gorman could be somebody traded for a catcher, um, but the Cardinals, you know, weren't willing to do it. No, it's maybe the A's weren't willing to uh, to take him, and instead they end up settling for Asteri Ruiz, who's going to steal 90 bases. Like, I get it. He's he's a unicorn in the game. If he can get on base at even a 300 clip, he's going to be a, a unique player for them. And then the couple of pitching prospects that the, uh, the A's ended up with in that trade uh, of Sean Murphy to the Braves. But all that being said, I look at the situation and go, the Cardinals were so unwilling to let that play out and risk losing out on Sean Murphy and Contreras in the same offseason because of their disdain for the idea that Kisner would play a lot. Like you go back to December or even November when it was the GM meetings and the Cardinals were telling reporters out there, we need a starting catcher. It's the biggest need. It's the one thing we got to have it. And I would have, if I would have been at those GM meetings or at those winter meetings, which I wasn't this year with the new baby in the house, I would have said, what about Andrew Kisner? And I'm sure reporters there asked it, but it maybe it didn't get written or I didn't happen to read it. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. But my thought throughout that whole process was the Cardinals could get by with Andrew Kisner playing 30, 35, 40% of the games behind the plate and adding a catcher via free agency or, or trading for a guy who's not a star. They could split it up that way, and I think the Cardinals would be okay. The Cardinals did not see it that way, which is what makes this situation so fascinating now that a month and a week, five weeks into the season, they're banning Contreras from behind the plate, at least temporarily, in favor of the guy that they didn't even give the time of day, didn't even think about the notion that, oh, he's going to start games? Oh, hell no. I mean, that's the way they acted. So they were prioritizing 
and bought into the idea that last year the offense, the lack of it from the catcher position was a huge problem, and I agree that it was, but they bought into that and they they almost got tunnel vision on it instead of realizing that, oh, we also need to recognize that this is going to be a huge shift for our pitching staff to lose the presence of Yadier Molina, a pitch-to-contact pitching staff, in an offseason where, by the way, they're banning the shift. They are banning the infield shift, and you've got to have two guys, two infielders on each side of second base. That is going to make a massive impact for the Cardinals, and that's why they talked about, can we get more swing and miss out of our staff in spring training? They tried. The answer was no. They, they're, I think they're kind of the same rotation that they were. They don't have those guys. They are built around pitch to contact and being able to rely upon that great defense that they deal, they do still possess. However, behind the plate, it was going to be a change and you knew that there would be an adjustment period and the Cardinals completely took it for granted is what this past five days of, of news and action and decision-making has told me, but they prioritized the offense too, that they were going to get from the catcher position. And that's why they, I think got their, their eyes set on Wilson Couture's and I still think Wilson can be a very good Cardinal and, and could be a good Cardinal catcher. I was asked this afternoon uh, from from some people wondering, like, this Buster only thing, talking about he's not going to be the Cardinals' everyday catcher anymore. If you ask people around the league, they think it's over and done with, uh, that this is just a bust. The Cardinals are going to have to eat that money with him as a DH, and it's going to have a huge, uh, you know, trickle-down effect on their prospects and and, and Buster only is spouting all this stuff about how, oh, their prospects are going to be more available now via trade via for cheaper prices because uh, the Cardinals have one less position they can play guys at because Contreras is going to DH 120 times a year. It's insane. It's not reality, in my opinion. I disagree with, and again, Buster only is only reporting what he's being told by rival execs, rival baseball executives. That should be the dog whistle right there to let you know what do those guys have the, you know, the benefit or uh, the the reason to say to Buster only is like, oh yeah, they, Cardinals are going to have to deal with some of those prospects, and they got to give them to me, and they better do it for cheap. Like, come on, give me a break. Don't read into that. Have media literacy enough as a fan to go. I spot BS. That's not a thing, and that's kind of the way I look at that. But there is concern if you're on the outside of the situation and not reading every little thing that is happening within the Cardinals on Contreras. You might think that same thing too of. I think they, he might just be done as their catcher. Everything I am seeing the last couple of days, even though I'm not up at, in Chicago at Wrigley, is that they're working toward a plan to get him back behind the plate. And in my estimation, again, take for what it's worth from the speculation of a guy who hasn't actually been at the stadium in these in these days when these conversations are happening with the manager. Hasn't happened with Mo. He hasn't talked to anybody other than the athletics. So it's not like I'm missing anything there. But take it from me, with that uh, admittedly limited sample size of of info, I'm just kind of reading along with you guys, but trying to parse through it myself from the outside the last couple of days since I was out of town. I look at it and say, Wilson Contreras is going to be back behind the plate for an Adam Wainwright start within the next two or three starts, and it very well may be this week. Like, do not be surprised if he's catching Wainwright on Friday or Thursday or whenever he pitches. Um, And it, it may not be quite that quick. But I think within the next three Adam Wainwright starts, he'll be behind the plate, and then they will begin to usher him back into the lineup for some of the other pitchers. And then that may be when you find out which guys had the biggest, you know, threw the biggest fit or made the biggest stink about having Wilson Contreras catch me because maybe those guys will take a little longer before they they give him a shot. And, like, it's not to say that maybe Miles Michaelis was one of those guys. It might have made, made sense anyway for Miles Michaelis to have Kisner 
as his personal catcher because he did so well within last year that I wouldn't read into that and say, oh, that's what it is. Miles Michaelis hates Contreras. Not at all. I don't think that's the case. And so, uh, but I, I'm just saying, Contreras is going to be behind the plate. And I think it happens in the month of May. And uh, whether or not he returns to like the majority of, of the catching starts before the end of May, I don't know. But within the next month, month and a half, I do believe he ends up catching at least 50%, if not more, of the games. Just my opinion, just my speculation. That doesn't take the Cardinals off the hook for how weird and bizarre this entire thing has been. I still think it's problematic that within you know five weeks, you have this realization that, oh, we, we just thought it was going to be fine. We thought we could just spend the money, throw money at the problem, and that this guy would know what he's supposed to do. But again, if you knew and acknowledged that Yadier Molina was the Hall of Fame great catcher, game caller, preparer that he was, then why did you think that somebody else was just going to be able to walk in? Like, not everybody is a Hall of Fame catcher, even the ones that are $87 million worth on the free agent market. Those guys aren't automatically going to be in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, there was going to be a learning curve here, and I think the Cardinals drastically misunderestimated to use a – I forget if that's like an SNL thing or how misunderestimated came to be, Um, but they misunderestimated the whole deal on what it would mean to have a new catcher in the the clubhouse and have no Yadier Molina. Um, And and that's the situation that you're living in now if you're the Cardinals. Corey says all we needed to change the season was to play the Cubs. Yeah, it's going to be very funny if tomorrow we get to do a uh, sweeps aren't that hard, just play the Cubs tweet. Um, We'll see. Corey also says we need Paul DeYoung to play in, in, or PDJ, which I like to call him that as well, to play in Wrigley or in Victory Blues every game. Yeah, I think the combo stat line of DeYoung in the Victory Blues plus the uh, the Wrigley field factor is absolutely off the charts over the course of his career. And Elijah says, yes, you play DeYoung if he keeps that swing. And again, I've seen him strike out on some bad pitches recently that are out of the zone and he's chasing a little bit. If Paul DeYoung just increases that strike zone discipline by like 3%, and, and continues to whack the pitches when the opposing pitcher makes a mistake to him, he's going to be fine. Um, but, like, those are the the things that he's got to put the work in and make sure he maintains it. It's easy to do it for a week or so if you're Paul DeYoung. Can he maintain it? Now, he's been doing it for several weeks after the injury. Just to keep it up would be huge for him. Uh, give the stream a like if you could, guys, and uh, subscribe to the YouTube page if you haven't done that yet. Let's get us to 40 on the like counter. I'm going to take a quick drink and then back into the comments. Brent says, if this DeYoung is back and gets mixed in with the middle infield depth that uh, makes them the best unit. Yeah, and Brendan Donovan now playing left field, I think is completely fine for the time being as well because you want to keep his bat in the lineup. Cardinals, by the way, when they were able to chase Tyone from the game in the third inning, really impressed with the at-bats or rather the plate appearances that they were taking in that spot. Uh, Several walks to score some runs. Just grinding away, fouling off some pitches in full counts, and then able to get through it the way that they did. I thought that was uh, a really impressive factor all the way around by those guys. Uh, Ryan says to uh, fire Moselak now. Nah, I don't think so. Um, but I understand your frustration. I mean, there's still 11 games under 500, I think it is. So there's a little bit of ways to go, no doubt. Hunter, uh, Brendan, if you were hypothetically Ali Marmel, what is the starting lineup you're rolling out at the moment? This is good. It would change depending on left or righty. Um, but generally, I'm going to assume right-handed because that's what you're going to get most of the time from the opposing uh, teams. Newpar's my leadoff guy. He's been great. And I was just thinking tonight, right before I was on a walk, 
listening on the radio at that point, right before he hits his home run, I was thinking, man, I saw Newpar's got a higher on-base percentage this season so far than he does a slugging percentage. And I want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, he's uh, he's OPSing 855, but his OBP is 430. So that would make his uh, slug, even after the game, 425. So he's OBPing more than he is slugging at this point. His OBP is fantastic. 430, heck yeah, man. You're going to take that out of your leadoff hitter. But he's so capable of being a power threat as well, and so it was good to see him go deep tonight. Uh, Lars Nupar has, has, after the injury that he suffered on opening day, has become, and has, to this point, turned into absolutely everything that you could have hoped he would be in the offseason when the Cardinals refused to trade him. And I said, no, there's absolutely no way you trade him. And I also said uh, two years ago, there's no way you trade him for Frankie Montas, even when at the time that was a little bit of a hot take uh, because he wasn't proven. So Lars Nupar would be my leadoff guy. Goldschmidt, too. I'll keep running it out the way it is with Gorman batting third. Um, I'd move Arenado down, personally. I'd probably flip-flop Contreras and Arenado just to kind of make things happen. Um, but they're clearly not going to do that. Uh, they're just not. And Arenado did have a hit tonight, one for four, uh, with a run scored. So go ahead and give me our new bar, Goldschmidt, Gorman, Arenado, Contreras, I think is fine. Um, is there a case to be made that you could move Gorman back down? Yes. But I also like that now the, the look that you give them, the opposing pitching staff and the opposing manager, is left, right, left, right, one through four. Contreras batting fifth is where he likes to be, and so that's a, that's a fine spot, I suppose, to go righty-righty. And then to have DeYoung, or pardon me, Donovan batting sixth, DeYoung seventh, like that works for me. That makes sense. Honestly, tonight, Hunter is about as close to what lineup I would put out there for the most part, um, if at least in the moment that we're seeing with this, uh, this Contreras not catching stuff. What I would do is catch Contreras, so that puts him back at catcher. Kisner should still play 33% of the time. Um, there's no reason to burn out Contreras, and, and Kisner is starting to pick it up a bit, so that's good to see. Um, I would have then Tommy Edmond would be in my lineup at second base. or, or Well, he'd be in there at shortstop, to, to be totally clear. They're not going to do it that way. They said they would at the beginning of the year that DeYoung was going to be utility. Something happened along the way where they scrapped that idea. I get it, though. Tommy Edmond is a gold glover at second base, so it's fine. You don't need to uh, rock the boat at this point on that. Tommy Edmond would be my shortstop, but plug in Tommy at second base and bat him ninth against right-handed pitching, and that would be the difference I would have, honestly, the only one that I would have compared uh, to what Ali Marmol put out there tonight. And that'll change in, in ebb and flow throughout the season. I do think you get to a point where it's probably better to have uh, Gorman, or pardon me, better to have Goldschmidt and Arenado back-to-back than you do Arenado and Contreras. But for right now, I like the way that Gorman is able to mix it up. And uh, obviously, he continues his all-star potential caliber campaign with a home run tonight there in the first inning. I it, I almost forgot about it. It happened so long ago in, in the context of the game. But he's got an 864 OPS. He's got eight home runs, 24 RBIs. My bold prediction to begin the year was Gorman would be an all-star. Now we're just waiting to see him against the lefty at some point. But I get it. The Cardinals have got guys like Burleson who can, or not Burleson, uh, but guys like DeYoung and others that are going to be demanding time against lefties. And when uh, Jordan Walker comes back, he's going to be in there against lefties too. So that's the way I look at it for right now. Thank you guys for getting the likes up. Now we might even be able to get to 50 likes, which I really appreciate. And uh, I'm trying to do a little bit of multitasking 
if I can here and uh, retweet myself on Twitter a little bit, I've uh, I-, I might take a moment here to put this out. Charlie Marlowe tweeted out, if you missed the Flaherty postgame, this was the gist of it. I might want to listen to that real quick. It's a three-second clip. I'm going to play with it. I've always played with it. Oh, Charlie, you, you burned me. You burned me. I didn't know what it was going to say. I didn't know what he was going to say. And uh, it was, it was, that's what it was. So thank you, Charlie, for, uh, I trusted you. I trusted you. I thought I was going to get some insight and you burned me, but that's okay. Um, Nevertheless, we'll continue on, but that's my lineup hunter. If I had to, if I had to put one out for now, but yeah, I would have Contreras catching in before long. So too will the Cardinals only eight games out of first says Elijah. And that's the thing. Like, again, I'm not telling you what to do with your money in terms of like a sports betting or anything. That's not my place. But I do think the Cardinals are going to win, and they're probably of value at this point if you look at like where the the sports books probably would say. Because look, they're way out of it. But eight games is not as bad as it could have been. Eight games is not as bad as it could have been. Um, the Cardinals have been fortunate that the Pirates have hit a lull, and the Brewers have hit a bit of a lull in the same time frame that the Cardinals uh, were going through it as well. So to be able to turn things around and maybe that turnaround is happening already, I would say the Cardinals, they shouldn't be favored to win the division. I think that should probably still be the Brewers, but I don't think it's as like far-fetched that the Cardinals would be that number two team, and I don't think the difference between the Cardinals and the Brewers right now should be significant. And yes, I'm dismissing the Pirates. Sorry, guys, you're a fun story, but I think you're just a, a footnote in this entire thing. So that's kind of where I am. Uh, Trevor says, if the version of Paul is back and Wilson has to DH, the outfield starters every day got to be hashtag everyday Dylan, Newt, and BFD, question mark, question mark. Yeah, I would say Donovan in left is fine at this point. He plays a decent left field, better than decent, made another great diving catch tonight. Just an absolute athlete out there. And what the Cardinals really need from him is just to be able to get it going at the plate again. Uh, he goes over three tonight, but he did reach base with a walk, and, and that drove in a run. That was probably the toughest plate appearance anybody took all night. Uh, just a, just maybe an inch or two off the plate for the uh, ball four that he took to drive in a run there. His numbers are not what you want him to be, only a 697 OPS. I think he ends up being more of a 740 to 750 OPS kind of guy because he's going to get more legs out of that on-base percentage than he has as of now. 322 is the on-base. He hasn't hit for much power since that first week of the season. I think he's going to maybe get some of that back. Could he be a 10-home run guy still? I think that's definitely possible. Donovan just has to get it going at the plate, and he will more than justify playing in left field. And what could be difficult about that conversation? When Tyler O'Neill comes back, do you put him back into the lineup regularly if you're getting this type of production, um, at least in the field, and then if, if he can turn it around offensively from Brennan Donovan? I think that's a fascinating question and one that I don't know if the Cardinals are prepared to answer, which is almost why maybe he's on the injured list. Not to say that it wasn't a real injury for Tyler O'Neill. But isn't the timing kind of fine to have him take a couple of weeks to to make sure he's fully healthy and healed up? He's got a 620 OPS on the season. I don't mean to alarm anybody, but do you know Andrew Kisner's OPS on the season? I think I just mentioned it, but if not, I'll go double check it. Yeah, it's 620. <laughs> it's identical to Tyler O'Neill. So you can't tell me that Tyler O'Neill, and again, Earlier, I was talking about some of the weirdness that the Cardinals have put out there. I don't know if it's always an Ollie thing or a Mosaic thing. I think they do a great job. I know everybody wants to fire Mo. That's always the popular thing. And he's going to catch some heat if this season doesn't turn around, rightfully so. 
but I generally believe he has put together a, a, a period of stability in St. Louis that is unmatched in professional sports over the course of, uh, you know, the couple of decades that we've seen him kind of uh, in an influential spot in this organization. But that being said, the O'Neill thing in center field is just akin to the Burleson thing and some of the, now the Contreras thing, bringing up Jordan Walker and then sending him back down after four weeks as though you didn't know he was going to be the exact player that he looked like he was. Like, some decisions have been questionable. The O'Neill thing probably tops the list for me, and I feel like I, like I'm proud to be able to look back and say I never thought it made sense from day one. And even when the Cardinals said, "Well, here's the why," that was a moment where I said, "Your why is wrong. This is not the way that it should be." Dylan Carlson is your center fielder. It's just one of those things where they 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 leaned into the the advanced analytics and the the sprint speed and and they thought they could Doctor Frankenstein an elite center fielder out of Tyler O'Neill by just having him learn on the fly. And he's played it before, but he wasn't going to play it at a Dylan Carlson level, even though he's the better athlete than Dylan Carlson. It's one thing that they they put a lot of their eggs into the Tyler O'Neill basket to begin the season. And again, I think you can look back on the whole brouhaha with Ollie and Ollie saying that he wasn't hustling. That wasn't happening in a vacuum. That was happening because Ollie Marmel maybe not something he was totally on board with. Again, this is speculation and a little bit dangerous speculation because I don't know this to be true, but could it have been that in collaboration with the front office who sort of pushed the move, they said, we believe our analytics people believe we should have Tyler O'Neill in center field. He wants to be the center fielder. He asked for the opportunity. We believe we can turn him into an elite center fielder because of his sprint speed and his athleticism. Okay. But Ollie Marmel is watching in the first week of the season, Tyler O'Neill not give, in his perception, the effort that needs to be out there. And he's probably thinking, we're giving this guy every opportunity to be the center fielder, to be the dude that that he wants to be. And then he turns around in his, in his as the manager portrayed it, was not hustling. Like, you can understand why the manager would decide that needs to be something that goes public because I just can't contain myself anymore with everything. We're, we're giving this guy so much latitude. And Dylan Carlson is a forgotten man. So, like, that's another example from just the weirdness that happened early in this season. And it'll be interesting to see. Like, clearly the 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 tide had shifted even before the O'Neill injury that he's not the center fielder anymore. That's going to be uh, either Lars Newtbar or Dylan Carlson if he's in the outfield on that given day. O'Neill's going to play left. It took the Cardinals a while to come around. They finally did. I'll give him credit for it because it never made sense to have Tyler in center. But now what's going to be interesting is when he comes back, do they have a log jam in a different way where suddenly, because of the Contreras at DH thing, you're pushing Donovan to the outfield more often, and if he starts performing offensively, Tyler O'Neill's a bench bat. He's a late-game pinch runner, defensive replacement in left if you if you need one. That could be the route that this goes down, and that's not an effective use of resources. If that's the way he ends up being utilized, using him in a trade might have been the best thing, but other teams have to have wanted him in the offseason. So this is the dance that, I think everything is so it's an organism, it's an organism, it's an ecosystem. Everything is kind of interconnected with this Cardinals team and a lot of some of the issues we've seen from it. And that's one that I think is so interesting when O'Neill comes back and he's been taking some swings. What's the role for Tyler O'Neill? I think ends up being really fascinating. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But yeah, Elijah mentioned it. Only eight games out of first to me is notable. Isn't it fun how I can get on a tangent? But those were all relevant thoughts that I think throughout a day and I wanted to get out. So I'm fine with it being a tangent. Brent says, I hate that the media is now pushing stories about how the Cardinals should have gotten Murphy and Swanson. That's in the past, and we need to rally behind Wilson as our catcher, like it or not. I don't know that it's like we're pushing it, and I don't know if, Brent, you're referring to me or other stories that you're seeing or reading or whatever, but the reality is, and this is not new, I said it at the time, like, if the Cardinals can trade for a catcher, they're going to sign Dansby Swanson, was my opinion. And Dansby Swanson having a great start to the season for the Cubs is definitely helpful in kind of pushing that narrative and making it look like the Cardinals made some sort of mistake, which I don't know that they did. You know, I thought at the time that they were going to sign Dansby, I didn't think it was going to be a great signing necessarily. I thought he would be a very Cardinal-type player. I've been impressed by him in the way he's been able to sustain his offensive performance this year. But what would that have done to the logjam that already exists in the Cardinals' middle infield? Tommy Edmonds already at risk of getting pushed out by DeYoung. If you signed Swanson, that would have been an indicator that the Cardinals didn't believe in DeYoung, and they would have traded him away for a bag of baseballs and uh, probably still play, paid his salary. So you wouldn't be getting the production now that you're getting from DeYoung because he wouldn't have been on the team or he would have been given a very short leash when that injury happened in spring. They would have probably cast him aside if they had Tommy Edmond and Dansby Swanson and Gorman, which maybe Gorman would have been traded in the, the deal for a catcher. Like, I think all of that could have worked out that you trade Gorman and, say, Carlson, which would have not been my preference, and I, and I appreciate that it didn't happen. But if that's what the Cardinals were willing to trade, they made him pick from a group of four. They said you can take two. Uh, I believe Derek Gould or, or somebody had reported this, that they wanted to give away maybe Gorman or Carlson or Yepes, and there was one other player. I think Burleson was the fourth. And the A's wanted Newt Bar Donovan. The Cardinals didn't want to trade those guys. And they want to trade Graceffo, the pitching prospect that reportedly uh, Oakland was interested in. But if it would have gone down that way, let's say it ends up being like worst case scenario from that group of four from a value perspective to me is Gorman and Carlson being the two that go. All right, now you've got Sean Murphy, and that would have fixed a lot in terms of, you know, he's a producer, offensively a catcher, and I think a better defender than Contreras, which is not to bag on Contreras, um, but the fact of the matter is he is a gold glover, Sean Murphy, and he's off to a great start in Atlanta. So that would have been a great move uh, to get the guy. What it costs to give up, that's a different discussion and, and maybe would not have been worth it. But I think it would have freed the Cardinals up to then potentially sign Dansby Swanson, play Edmund at second, and that would have been a pretty lethal middle infield as well. But then you still have the conversation about, well, Donovan's blocked out. It just The Cardinals believe in him. They didn't want to trade him anyway, so you don't want to block him in terms of his ability to contribute at one of his primary positions. So I get it, Brent. I don't know that it's pushing stories, though. Like I think it's very natural when the Cardinals say this guy that we signed for $87 million is not our catcher right now, it's natural to look back and say, well, here's what the Cardinals could have done to potentially avoid this situation. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it would have been a better deal or a better combination of moves than what this will end up playing out as. 
but I do think it's definitely relevant to talk about. And so I think that's why, Brent, you're seeing it come up. Uh, one more thing while we're kind of talking about this and, and rehashing the, the, the Contreras stuff, I wanted to put this out there. Uh, Jesse Rogers from ESPN put this story out, and here's a quote from it uh, when it comes to why the Cardinals are doing what they're doing with Contreras. Quote, there's so many different layers and elements to what we're talking about. We're making sure he understands the full process of how we think through a game plan. And then Rogers writes, Marmel was asked to be more specific than that because the whole thing is freaking vague, as I've been telling you guys. But here was Marmel's response to, can you be more specific? Because that that's not really that's a lot of words without saying much. And he says, quote, that's the part I unfortunately won't disclose, and that's the part that won't make sense to the rest of the world. It just won't. I'll wear it until then. Again, Marmel knows it's his job to wear it, to be the face of these decisions, even if they're not his decisions, and to justify them to the public, even if he doesn't fully agree with them, or if, and I'm not saying he doesn't, but whether he does or not is irrelevant. He says, I'm going to be the one, I'll wear it until then, because it's not going to make sense to you guys right now. That's the part, this is continuing the quote, that's the part that will stay in-house, and at the end of the day, it won't make sense to anyone else, but we do feel confident in the end product. So that is so fascinating for Marmel, and it is the the buzzer quote, the money quote, with everything I've been saying for the past couple of days about the situation. That's the and again, it's not like it's a smoking gun. It's just the Cardinals admitting that, like, we know exactly what we want to do here, but you don't get to know it's a secret plan, and we just you just gotta trust us that it's gonna work out for the better. If I'm a Cardinals fan hearing that, I'm enraged, but as a media person reading it from a Cardinals perspective, I'm understanding that this is the way they've chosen to go about it. And it's going to be awesome because time's either going to tell that they're right or wrong. If they're wrong, you guys get those pitchforks out because this is one of the biggest bunglings of anything we've ever seen in St. Louis. Like everybody should go if they end up turning Wilson Contreras into not the catcher of the present or the future. Right? Because that's just, I mean, you signed him for a purpose you completely dismiss the idea of Andrew Kisner taking on a, a big enough chunk of that role to where you said, we can't have Kisner do that. And therefore, we have to either get Murphy, Contreras, or like an Alexander Kirk from the Blue Jays, and they weren't trading him. So you absolutely had to, is the way the Cardinals felt. And so if they end up, if Buster only ends up being right, and the, the days of Contreras as an everyday catcher in St. Louis are over, Clean house, my friends. Like, it's a brutal, brutal situation. But the Cardinals believe they've got it figured out. They're just not going to tell you what it is, and that's their prerogative, but it puts a finer point on the entire situation to say, all right, there's going to be scrutiny and criticism, and I love and respect that Ollie Marmel says, I'll wear it. That's fine, but this is the way we're going about it. It's stubborn. It's bold of the Cardinals organization to treat it that way, but it is what they're going to do. They've got a plan for what they want this to look like. We're going to get to see it play out in bits and pieces, but we're not going to know everything that goes on behind it. Maybe someday we will after it's all said and done. If it works out the way the Cardinals hope that it will, they might be able to talk about it a little bit more freely. But right now, I think there's risk in that because they look at this and say, this has already become a media circus. National media is on top of this, and we don't look good for it. We're not going to give them any more droppings to to be able to run with. We're just going to keep everything in-house that we can and, that you know, from a PR perspective, it might have benefited them to do it that way from the very beginning, but they didn't come up with that answer until Monday. Saturday, Sunday, 
a complete S show. They completely bungled it and said, oh, he's going to be an outfielder. And again, this wasn't Katie Wu or the Post-Dispatch reporting, you know, sources say Contreras is going to be used as an outfielder. This was the Cardinals telling everybody we're going to use him as an outfielder. Via Ali Marmel, that was the plan. And then they said, oh, maybe not. And Ben Fred wrote a story today, and there's a quote in there from Ali that says, not necessarily in terms of will he be the catcher again. Like, they weren't even committing to that as of a couple of days ago. And then Moselak goes and cleans it up by only talking to one outlet, which is fine. It's his prerogative. But again, like, he's not faced the music on this whole thing, and it's one of the most bizarre situations of his tenure in St. Louis. And and has not, you know, he's pick and chose who can ask him about it, which is fine. That's his prerogative, but it, it's not like we're not allowed to talk about it and, and as media literacy say, hey, this is the way it's being handled by the Cardinals. It's just all very fascinating that this is the way it's going to go down. And I know we're talking about a lot of negative things for a team on a three-game winning streak, but this is all happening at the same time, which is why it couldn't be better timing for the Cardinals to actually do what they're doing on the field and turn things around and starting to win some baseball games because that is the thing that will make all the bad feelings go away. Uh, and, and the Cardinals are hopeful of that. And it could coincide with then Contreras coming back and everything's back to normal. But it's going to be a rocky road, I think, to get to that point. And I just wanted to share that comment from uh, the, the quote from Ollie from the uh, article by Jesse Rogers of ESPN because I think it's super-duper relevant. All right, back to talking about these comments. Jason says that's a winning streak, and he's 100% right. Uh, up to 50 likes. Keep it going. If you haven't liked it yet, would appreciate that for sure. Uh, Ryan is now dismissing Mizzou fans, which is just terrible. You can't do that. Um, can't do that. Hunter says, Brendan, thoughts on your last place fantasy team? Hunter, I got to be, I got to level with you. The league that you're talking about, I almost didn't even renew it because it was like, oh, shoot, I kind of forgot. I don't feel good about it, but that's been me every year in that league. All my other fantasy teams are doing really well this season. Mosaic lost Zach Gallon and Sandy Alcantara, and you defend him. You're a joke. Uh, all right, Ryan. I, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. We, if that's going to be your smoking gun, like we're all aware of what happened with Gallon and Alcantara. And we've talked about a lot about why that happened too. And it's not, it doesn't show glowingly at all to, uh, to the Cardinals, but uh, you know, it is what it is at this point. Everybody chiming in that uh, the Rockies was the last series win. Yep. And that was a while ago. Is Edmund going to be the odd man out with Paul DeYoung hitting and Wilson at DH? Corey, I think it's a great question. We've talked a bit a bit about it already, that the squeeze goes to Tommy Edmund and Brennan Donovan, and they would rather put Donovan in the outfield than Edmund. And so, yeah, Edmund, for the guy of he's our starting shortstop and we're not looking in the market for shortstops, that was the whole thing the offseason. Tommy Edmund, man, has been yanked around more than any Cardinal not named Wilson this season. And that is a blight on the front office and uh, the coaching staff. But they're just reacting to everything that's going on in their world. And so um, it is what it is. Now, Jordan Walker got yanked around too. Never should have been in St. Louis if he wasn't going to stay. But I do feel a little bit for Tommy Edmond because he's played well this year. And he's just getting yanked around right now. Jason wonders if having Wainwright in the locker room every day will help. And I think that it will. I think that there's a huge part of this that Wilson Contreras was throwing to all of these non-Wainwright Cardinals pitchers, the guy who's been there longer than anyone, and that better than anyone understood what it was that Yachty brought to the table and could communicate some of that from the pitching side to Wilson Contreras if he was, you know, pitching to him. He wasn't. He was injured. 
and he was on rehabs and he what you know I think Wainwright being back not only just physically there on the off days but actually pitching every fifth day is huge for Wilson Contreras because we've talked about all of the things that have changed new pitching coach second year manager new bench coach no Yachty might be the biggest one of all for uh, the pitching staff and then Contreras comes into that and oh by the way you can't shift your infielders anymore when the Cardinals are the most ground ball, contact-oriented pitching staff in baseball. That's not allowed. That's a lot. And then they thought Wilson Contreras was going to be able to come in there and every 15 seconds be able to communicate the pitch and the location that you know needed to be sequenced effectively. Pitch clock is another factor in this. I'm not making excuses for Wilson. I'm not making excuses for the Cardinals pitcher or, or the pitching staff. I'm just saying this was to be expected to some extent. There were going to be growing pains. And then you you take Adam Wainwright and have him out of the the conversation for the first month because of injury. It just stands to reason that that all of the issues that were potential to happen, it was like a it was a powder cave waiting to explode and just add the dynamite with Adam Wainwright not being there to kind of be a cooling presence for Wilson. I think that hurt things. I would have Wilson catch the next start Wainwright makes, which I believe is a couple days from now, because Wainwright calls his own game via pitch comp. I recently saw, I think it was Derek that reported that for the PD. That's And, and I don't know if I knew that before and just forgot it, but the fact if he's calling his game via pitch comp, that's like you're getting the answers to the test if you're Wilson Contreras. Like, okay, the Cardinals say, I don't know how to call a game or sequence a, you know, a pitching staff or approach a game plan. Adam Wainwright's going to give you the answers to the test, and if you're Contreras, you just got to follow along. But that's going to be muscle memory that helps him to get where the other pitchers want him to be. So he would be catching every Wainwright start for me from now on. Um, is it fair to Wainwright if they they think, oh, Contreras isn't as capable as Kisner, and Wainwright's trying to get to milestones right now? I don't know, but they gave him Yachty every single start last year. So I think it for the betterment of the team, you give him Contreras, even if everybody's kind of questioning his wherewithal at this point behind the plate. Hunter wonders if it's time for a Flaherty injury to get himself right. No, I don't think there's any value to that. And Flaherty also, you know, when there's a fake injury, you go on the IL and you're a veteran player, like a Jake Woodford. Was he actually, yeah, he probably had a sore shoulder, but he had pitched a lot. He wasn't going to be available for four days anyway, and he wasn't performing well. So rather than make him go to Memphis, just like, all right, Jake, you're on the IL. Whatever. Flaherty's got more cachet than that, though. You try to tell Flaherty you're on the IL with a fake injury. How's he going to react to that? Like, hell to hell I am. You know he's going out in the media and saying, I'm not hurt. And then a whole S storm happens if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. So, no, there's no injury coming for Jack Flaherty unless he's actually hurt, especially in his free agent year where durability is a question on, on his game. Now, people might say, well, a 6 ERA should also be a question on his game. What do, what good does it do him to go out there and pitch poorly every fifth day? I think they're still thinking he can turn it around. And, and Flaherty, if he's not hurt, he's pitching. That's the bottom line. Elijah says, you just got to go on a couple of seven-game winning streaks and you're right back in it. And that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, stacking wins together really does help because it, it gets things back to an equilibrium to where then you can take a breath and attack the rest of the season. Like you could climb the mountain and be tied for first in the division. It still may not mean you win the division, but at least you're at equilibrium at that point to be able to attack the rest of the calendar. Um, right now, the Cardinals are playing catch up and they will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. But the more wins they can stack up now, uh, the, the quicker they get out of catch up mode 
it into more of a, hey, it's time to grind mode. Let's go win the division. They can't even think that way right now. They just got to go day by day. Um, Corey, uh, Trevor is responding to Corey's question. He said, it's possible Paul DeYoung has played better than Edmund lately. Offensively, I guess that's true, but I haven't had any real issues with what I've seen out of Tommy Edmund. I do think that it's one of those deals where he's kind of getting a raw deal um, because of the the way the Cardinals have had to approach things um, or, or the way they felt they've had to approach things with Contreras. Joe says, tired of the offense giving uh, Jack runs early and he gives them right back. That's three starts in a row that has happened. Yes, it's a problem. Um, it's a problem. It, it reminds me of the notion that you look at, well, we don't really care about losing the first game of a series. We want to win every game. You might say, well, we don't really care about runs given back after the after the Cardinals score. We want to give up no runs every inning. That's not what the Cardinals are saying, which is why they probably shouldn't have said what they said about don't care about the first game of a series, but I digress. Yes, runs given back matters because it's a human element. It's a human nature kind of thing to have your guard down a little bit and be upset and have the momentum go against you if you give runs back. The Cardinals fortunately didn't do it tonight. But yeah, that's a problem that Jack Flaherty has. It's one of many problems that that he's been dealing with. Hunter says that Pauly D gives you a pop at the bottom of the lineup that the Cardinals have been lacking, so you write it out, and he's correct about that. Uh, Corey says that the Cardinals have the second-best odds in the Central on FanDuel at, at plus 410, and the Brewers are the favorites at minus 135. Um, and Ryan says it was just 600. Yep, you're going to see those odds change day by day. That's my prediction. I mean, I, I really do think it's going to be one of those things where uh, the Cardinals can make a bit of a run. People kind of go, oh, yeah, here it comes from the Cardinals, and then suddenly, boom, they're the favorite, and we'll go, whoa, didn't see that coming. David says, hashtag 500 by July. Rome wasn't built in a day. No, it wasn't, David, but if you can win 10 in a row, that would help, right? Then suddenly it was built in 10 days, and and now you can sort of take a breath and say, all right, even if the Cardinals are below 500 by a game or two, the season's not over. They've got to win a lot of games to get to season's not over standpoint. Uh, If Burley doesn't get sent down when on the overturns, I'm going to rage, leave Yepes here. You're probably going to rage because Burley would be good against righties, O'Neal better against lefties, Yepes better against lefties, although Yepes can hit righties. But we're not seeing a lot of Yepes, and so I think that they will value. It'll be similar roles offensively between O'Neal and Yepes, two right-handed slugger types, and one of them plays good defense, and the other one does not. So that'll be the move that I think would get made. Ryan wants Dylan Cease, but I don't know that he wants to give up what it would take. I get that Mosaic has not made those types of moves, but I hear you. Um, Ryan said, or Hunter says, don't worry, Ryan, when we win it by half a game, I'll say there's never a doubt. A half a game, I think, is unlikely because that would mean one team played 162 and one team played 161. They wouldn't let that happen. Um, Michael says that Dylan Cease is a dog. I don't think that is true. Unless you mean like he's a dog, like in a good way. I'm bad with the lingo and the slang these days. Jared is still very worried about Jack. The fastball velo was off. He doesn't seem to be too confident out there right now. Yeah, he's not. He's searching for it. And like I said, you can take the mindset of worry about him or you can take the mindset of he's going to be what he is, which is a guy who's searching for it weekly. And you'll get some good outings. You'll get some that are bad. And he'll be constantly pitching around trouble until he's able to work out the command issues. I mean, again, you're you're well into the season at this point, and you you've continued to see it from Jack Flaherty. So I don't think it's an anomaly. 
It's just kind of what he is right now until he's able to find it. Jason uh, is praising a stress-free ninth from Gallegos, which was important. Um, and then we've got some thoughts about Arenado. Max is asking for my thoughts. He says he looks lost. Um, and STL is winning in spite of Nolan Arenado. According to Trevor, the dude needs to get it going. He does. And yes, they are sort of winning in spite of him. I had somebody on Twitter ask me tonight um, if I saw his reaction in the dugout after the young home run. And I did not, admittedly. Um, but that tells me he was. He said he didn't look too happy. And I guess I can get it from Arenado because he's the kind of guy that wants to be the heartbeat. And you say, well, it's not a good teammate if he's not going to hype up his guy when, when the Cardinals take the lead. Again, also with the camera angles and stuff, I wouldn't read too much into that. But I could see Arenado just being a little frustrated and, and, and rightfully so with the way he's performing. But you'd like to see him celebrating it when the team is going ahead there. So I get that part too. Uh, Elijah says, one for seven for DeYoung, but opposite field has been regular for him. and He's not striking out, which is a key. Limit those strikeouts for Paul DeYoung. Things could uh, be on the right path. Caleb just says, Paulie. Caleb excited about the DeYoung development for sure. Could Arnado be off because of the pitch clock? He was slow to get to the plate in previous years. Uh, Soto's struggles may be the same. I don't think so because he was fine to begin the year. He had like an eight, 900 OPS after a week or two. So I can't really figure that out um, personally. Mike says, how long until the Cardinals move Edmund, O'Neill, Burleson, Yepes to the White Sox or Guardians for pitching? All right. Some of those guys might have trade value. Edmund certainly would. But I don't think teams that have great pitching and that are thinking we got to trade that pitching to, to rebuild are going to trade it for only offensive players. And O'Neill has virtually no trade value right now the way he's playing. Burleson I don't think has a ton. Yepes, I don't think, has a ton. So you're talking about Edmund and some filler in that deal. That's tough. I don't think that move gets made, Mike, but I understand the question. Add some pitching prospects to Edmund and, and Burleson or Yepes, and you might have something there. Um, but I would say to your question, how long? Well, probably not till June or July. Don't see the Cardinals making big moves before, uh, and I would say I would I would isolate that to July, honestly, historically. Kurt? Arenado is one of two guys on the team, not to question. He will produce. I think that's fair, but also, I mean, he, it's been a while. If we're going to say it's not early about some other guys, it's hard to say about Arenado that, it's, that, it's, that it is early still and he'll be fine. Um, but based on the track record, that's still where I am. Hopefully he comes around. Again, he was one for four tonight. I guess I could go and look and see if, if there has been any signs of him kind of coming around. But when you're still hitting 232 on the season – and your OPS is 605. Again, he's got a lower OPS than Andrew Kisner. So lower than uh, Tyler O'Neill, who's really struggled. You don't like seeing that. He is in one of the most important spots in the lineup as well. Over the past seven games, he's slugging 345, OP, OBP of 281. So really not a lot of a raise there. He's OPSing 626 over the past week of games. So not a huge turnaround as of yet by Nolan Arenado. Yes, I believe that should be of concern to people because as the Cardinals go, that's what you're seeing. Nolan Arenado. They will not go any further than he than Nolan Arenado takes the Cardinals. Is kind of the way I look at it. Um, and they could win 80 games without him. They could win 80 games with him being a black hole in the lineup. But they're probably not going to win 90. Probably not going to make the playoffs. They're probably, even if they get to the playoffs somehow, not going to be able to perform when they get there, they need Arenado back. And right now, he's a 
He's kind of a defensive replacement the way he looks. I mean, 600 OPS is abysmal. You got to move him down. That's my opinion. Um, but I've been saying that for a while, and they haven't done it. So, is what it is. Okie dokie. Trevor says he's been rough for over a month, and that it's not great. Jeremy says the Cardinals have three problems with pitching. It's Jordan Hicks, Gio Gallegos, and Jack Flaherty. I think that is a very limited view of what's going on. Jordan Hicks was fan-freaking-tastic last night. Almost said a different F word. He was great last night, and the Cardinals do not win without Jordan Hicks doing what he did last night, number one. Number two, Gallegos pitched a clean ninth inning and has a 2.65 ERA this season, or 2.63 ERA on the year, Jeremy. Jack Flaherty is struggling. But two of the three names that you said are not problems for the Cardinals. Jordan Hicks could be one, but you picked a a really weird time to bring it up because he was literally probably 25% of the entire reason they won the game yesterday with what he was able to do. So I don't agree with you there. Redbird says, I stand correct about Paul. He has a good approach. Maybe he still has something left in him to show us. That's the hope, that he actually fixed the approach in the offseason and that this time it is sustainable rather than sort of a flash in the pan. Corey agrees that it will get better for Nolan, but right now it's just tough to watch, and I agree with that. Absolutely. One bad month with over 10 years in the big leagues. Uh, Kurt wants Trevor to calm down a little bit. And Trevor, God love him, he he gets a little bit too uh, too animated with some of these comments. You know it's true, Trevor. You know it's true. But he does say, I'm not concerned long-term. I said it hasn't been great. He also needs to get going for STL to sustain success, and I believe that is true as well. And so everybody's kind of feeling like Nolan probably comes around, but uh, Kurt remains concerned with the pitching. And that's the thing, too. The pitching is a concern, but how much of it are they going to pin on Wilson Contreras? I did have a, a snarky tweet tonight where uh, Jack Flaherty gave up the home run, and I said, what is Wilson Contreras doing calling that pitch? Terrible. Ridiculous. Obviously, he wasn't behind the plate, and obviously, it's not his fault. You can't blame everything on uh, that's happening with the pitchers on Contreras. Uh, those guys still have to hit their spots, and that is something that I feel like gets lost in this conversation. But it's one of those things where if the pitchers are the ones saying that, hey, the, the Contreras thing's not working out, and the Cardinals believe them, then that's why they make this move. And we'll see what ends up happening with it. Dylan, Newt, and Paul are all locked in, giving good at-bats, and Redbirds is correct about that. And he also says, I don't mind Ollie compared to the previous. He'd rather Mosellac go. I know Ryan is on board with uh, Mosellac going. He has been repeating in the chat. Again, I've told you about what that's going to be. He'll name the day that he he's done with the Cardinals. He'll decide it. Not going to get fired. And uh, I think Ollie is a good manager. Like, Ollie Marmol last night, I don't really know if I praised him enough on the uh, the stream. He was fantastic last night, pulling all the right strings with the bullpen management. And tonight, I thought, did a pretty nice job. I would have maybe taken Flaherty out before that fifth inning was over, but that was a moment in time where Ollie goes, we need to give Flaherty this shot, and if he can get out of it, it's really going to help the bullpen because I don't know that the guy coming in is going to get him out of it either. Like, Palante was who was warming up. And you remember, Palante went down to AAA Memphis after giving up a grand slam that scored inherited runners belonging to Jack Flaherty. And we got the big guy roll, and he was upset. Like, Jack Flaherty might have strangled the man, the manager tonight if he would have done that again to him. And so I think Ollie said, hey, I got to give my guy this opportunity to get out of it. 
He made a questionable pitch. He missed location, and Suzuki nearly took him deep, but he got away with it, so the rest is history. Jason says Flaherty equals nuke. Uh, they're not going to nuke him just yet, but but he does need to be better. In Wrigley, usually free base runners become runs, and Flaherty got lucky. He got lucky. Like, again, Suzuki thought it was a homer. Probably should have been with how badly I thought he missed location. That being said, the walks not turning into runs are primarily a result of being able to get double plays. That's a combo of putting yourself in the right position, trusting your fielders, but also a little bit of luck because you could easily allow a ground ball that gets through the infield hole, and now you've given up two additional runs. So, yeah, he did get lucky. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Corey wonders if anybody else has noticed how far off the plate Goldie has been standing. I don't remember him doing that previously. I'll admit that I haven't really noticed uh, any difference like that, but I think Goldschmidt is still one of the guys that is is locked in pretty well. You can trust he's gonna what he's going to give you. Has has seen more strikeouts lately, but, you know, one for five tonight, still hitting over 300. Um, but if anybody chimes into uh, Corey's question there about Goldie standing further off the plate, can see what y'all think of that. Kurt believes that part of Jack's issue is that he hasn't pitched much in the last few seasons. Hopefully he uh, will settle in and find a rhythm soon. Yeah, the lack of rhythm has really been a factor for Flaherty. A lot of injuries, a lot of inconsistent opportunities going all the way back to 2020. Um, and, and, and injuries in 2021 that really hurt him as well with being able to establish that rhythm because it was always a different injury every time. Oblique and had this. I mean, it was always something for Flaherty. Obviously, a lot going on with the shoulder the last few years. And so, um, just to be able to find his rhythm would be key. Uh, Brickton, I believe, is if I say your name wrong, Brickton, uh, Mr. Burke, I apologize. Um, Flaherty getting chippy with a reporter asking a question in regards to his velo being down. Par for the course. It's Jack Flaherty. When he pitches bad or pitches good, he's chippy with reporters. I'm, I'm over it at this point, and it's not like I'm, I'm there, you know, facing the brunt of it today. But he make he, he doesn't foster an environment where, you know, he's easy to ask questions to. And that's like I'm not even saying anything groundbreaking right now, but you guys have seen the post games when he, he, he can get a little charged up, and that's fine. And as a reporter, it doesn't bother me necessarily, um, if it were to happen to me. But it is one of those things where you go, it it's a pattern. And as long as he can channel that frustration and energy and a little bit of that that swagger and and you know whatever you want to want to label it as, if he can channel that into outs on the mound, then more power to him, because it's the only thing that matters. He can treat anybody else like shit that he wants to, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't at the end of the day. You might say, eh, "I don't respect that from Flaherty," but I'm telling you, as one of the people often standing in that room holding up a microphone, it doesn't matter. What matters is can he channel it into pitching well. And you are welcome to have a personal opinion on Jack Flaherty, and, and some people I, I know obviously do. The chippiness with the reporters after tonight, after tonight's outing, the way he pitched, I would have been surprised if he weren't chippy with reporters. I'm looking forward to watching it, though. I haven't seen the whole thing yet. Um, Tyler Tyler also saying that Jack getting short with a reporter about the velo. Uh, Kurt says, Brendan, so you mean he'll be like any of the former Cardinals outfielders? Uh, Kurt, apologies that I don't know who you're referring to with that because it's just when I read these comments, it's often so long after what I'm talking about. Um, so I apologize. Ryan says the 618 ERA is because of Kisner. You're damn right it is. <laughs> Crazy, man. Crazy that it's the catcher's fault. Jason, has a Cardinal pitcher gone seven innings this year? Uh, Monty did it once, I think. 
as number 5712 replies. Um, Caleb says, I don't think we're talking good enough about how good Nude has been. OPS is near 900. He's not even lifting the ball. He's been awesome. Yeah, he has been awesome. Uh, just getting just getting a little bit more underneath the ball with uh, some power potential would take Newt to the level that I think in the offseason when the Cardinals said he's our one guaranteed starting outfielder every day. That's what you'd be looking for. But the on-base, like he is almost the bonafide perfect leadoff hitter, as Ricky Horton said tonight on the broadcast. He's exactly what you want in that leadoff spot because he can give you pop. You can lead a game one nothing one pitch into the game with Lars Newtbar but he also just grinds away and gets on base. And he's a good defensive outfielder, athletic as well. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a guy that you want to have for sure. Uh, he has been awesome though, Caleb. And you're right. Like it kind of occurred to me today that I was like, his OBP is well over 400. He's just not hitting for power. And then, then he homers. So he's the full package. Kurt says that Wrigley is a fun place to watch a game. And it certainly is. And I'd love to get back there this summer. Even if it's not for a Cardinals game, would love to get back there. It's a blast. Actually, I'd almost prefer it not be a Cardinals game so I can just go watch some baseball, have a couple beers. Like, if I'm going for a Cardinals game, I'm working. So it's a different situation. Uh, Trevor speculating that it was Jim the cat that uh, Jack blew up on about the velo. I, again, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to watch it. I'll just have to wait until after this. And Trevor also says, got maybe an attitude with Derek when he told him he didn't understand. Uh, his pitching. He said, that's why I'm asking you about it. Derek doesn't take no mess. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it. Honestly. Um, looking forward to that. Everybody talking about Jack getting a little testy. J Rose says Jack needs to can his ego. I hope he listens to five ninety tomorrow. They're going to, they're going to light that baby tantrum on fire. Um, and five ninety was excellent today. Yeah. I am. Uh, I am sure that this will be coming up. If he was as, as Henri as kind of everybody is claiming that he was. And again, it doesn't surprise me. I the only thing I don't know is if he said, "Oh, he got me backside." That doesn't count. <laughs> like that's that's the attitude that he sometimes takes about those things. Um, I would just say, "Look, man, seven hits, five walks. Well done to be able to get out of some jams, but it isn't all that sustainable." And the ERA kind of shows the way he's pitched this year. It's not a misnomer. It's not bad luck. If anything, with the leading the league in double plays, he's been fortunate to only have a six ERA at this point. Uh, Jeremy says Mo tried to put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole with Contreras. Yeah, they're all they're all scrambling to try to do that, but the gun was fired, man, and it's it, it's tough to put the bullet back in the gun, or as Mo often says, to put the toothpaste back in the tube. The one thing that's going to say be the Cardinal saving grace in all this is that Wilson Contreras is a great dude. And he's a gamer, and he wants it, and he works hard, and he's trying to get better at what they want him to get better at. He's not, like, he might be taking it personal. I know he maybe wiped his Instagram or whatever, but in everything he's saying and doing, he's just trying to get better for the team. And Cardinals fans are rallying around that, and rightfully so. Like, it doesn't surprise me. Wilson, I've I've seen say that he, you know, was kind of surprised by all the support he's been getting from fans over the last few days. Keep giving it to him because the dude deserves it. Um, it's really great to see everybody kind of rallying around him at this point. And then it's just going to be a matter of, can he just put that little extra bit of work in and, and, and channel that effectively to where he can be the catcher they need him to be? Um, that, you know, that's kind of the next step, but I, I have no doubt that he's going to be able to do it. I really do have faith that he'll be able to do it because I know he's working hard. He wants it. He wants greatness. He cares about winning as much as anybody in that clubhouse. And he's smart enough to figure out that him behind the plate is 
structurally what needs to happen for this roster uh, to fit right, but he has to get the job done and, and be able to to get where he needs to go uh, with these pitchers. But Jeremy said using him as a scapegoat, and that's exactly what it's been. He hasn't been failing execution in two strike counts. That's been the starting pitchers. And I guess the relievers some too, but I've noticed it more with the starters. Um, da, 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 skipping over some of the comments that I'm not going to read. You know which ones you are. Connor Yogo Birds. What up, Connor? CJ says need to go for the sweep tomorrow if there is to be any hope. Um, and yeah, I think it could be it could be done. You got a gun for that game. You got to get it. Watfish loves Newt. And uh, Labor88 says it's back to having to score six to win. Six is a serious number. Well, five would have got the job done tonight, Laborer. But yeah, I mean, they do need to end up scoring five or six runs a game. And I was told at one point that that's not realistic. It's not sustainable when you might be right. But that's the way this team is designed, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, friends of all ages. Like, this is what the Cardinals are. They're an offense that's going to need to slug to win a lot of games because pitching-wise, why is my battery saver on? What a crack of crap. Hold on, folks. Turns out this entire time I thought I was charging my laptop. The SOB is not plugged in, so give me a second. Well, that was nice. Hope you all enjoyed that look at my basement. I uh, didn't want us to die in the middle of the stream, so now we're plugged in. We're good to go. Um, Where were we? Jack says that the women's uh, Tigers softball team got a tourney W today over uh, Mississippi State, I believe it was. Yeah, I hope they make a regional in the NCAA tournament. That'd be a lot of fun. Labor 88 says Flaherty was dot, 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 dot. Well, they got five innings out of him anyway. Yep, they they strained to get those five innings. I think if Michaelis had, hadn't just failed to get through five, they might have pulled Flaherty even earlier than they did today. Um, they got lucky, man. They got away with it a little bit because Jack struggled. He did not look himself. Ictus says, hashtag everyday Dylan, my center fielder. Agreed that Contreras catches soon, likely starting with Wayno, and he thinks that the front office has mismanaged this horrifically, but I bet the losing skid caused the friction. 100% right. The losing skid is why Jordan Walker is in Memphis instead of just allowing him to grind through it. It wouldn't have been a problem that they had five outfielders for five spot, or for three spots if everybody was performing and they were winning games. They would have just kept going with that. But it, all of this only became a problem when they were losing games. And I think the same is true about the, the Wilson stuff. I think Ikta has a good point. Chris says that Jack asked about Velo and got feisty. Yep, I, I will definitely ex, uh, be excited to, to read into that and watch what he had to say there. Connor likes seeing the Cubs fans cry, and he was at the game to be able to do it. So congrats on that, Connor. That had to be a fun time. Uh, Visual Tedium says he likes, Bur- or, or she, likes Burleson's at bat. Uh, his bat, people act like he isn't a rookie who will struggle, and that's a good point as well. Um, like, his OBP, his OPS, all of it's pretty low right now for Burleson, and he, he's kind of fallen out of favor in the lineup. But he is a rookie. He's a young player, and so it, it, don't write him off for a career, but I do think he was getting too much opportunity in the two-hole. Um, Ollie was insistent. He was stubborn about it for a while, and then has eventually had to kind of fold on that. Corey says, thanks, Brennan. I'll catch the rest on Spotify. It's be safe daily on Spotify if you're not subscribed or uh, following over there. And please subscribe on the YouTube channel if you haven't, guys. The 44 people still in here. If you don't subscribe, if you're not subscribed, it would really help me if you would. Um, because every sub I can get is a march toward 1,000. And uh, that's a key number. So help me out and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. 
Jack says, I'm going to play with the velocity on my fastball based on what the game calls for. I can get outs at 90. I can get outs at 95. That's the way you go about the game. I haven't seen him at 95 all year. I could be wrong. Um, but I do think it's fair that he has done this consistently, and it's been a topic after each of his games. He's going to play with velocity because he's just trying to find that command and find what works in a given outing. So I don't think it's anything that needs to necessarily be, you know, made too much about, but it is worth talking about uh, because I I do think that it's a storyline. At the same point, I don't think it's something that you look at and go, oh, it's a problem if he's only throwing 89-90. He's doing it rather intentionally, take something off, put a little more on, changing speeds. I think he's doing it with some purpose. But again, if you're not getting outs, it's everything about your outing is going to be scrutinized and not unfairly. You have a 6 ERA. That's what you that's what you are right now and I think sometimes the players and Flaherty's one of them don't really understand the role of the media is to, you know, try and dig into some of these things and a 6180 ERA is a 6180 ERA. So, yeah, you're going to get some testy questions that you don't feel good about. Um, he says, because you all want to make a big deal out of it, and I'm tired of it. I'm sure he's tired of it. How you know how off the wall do you want me to get with this commentary? Cardinals fans and, and, and the team are probably tired of 12 base runners, a 6180 ERA. Like, I get Flaherty's standpoint, but I also think the media is well within the right to ask about these things. It's just reality. Pitch better, the questions aren't going to be, you know, coming the way that they've come. It's Alejandro Kirk, not Alexander Kirk. That's not that funny, Ryan. It's I, I if, if you if you say words for two hours on a live stream, you'd mess up some of them too, I reckon. But that's fine. Let me know when your stream is, though, Ryan. I'll tune in. Seth, do we sweep the Cubbies? Uh, J-Row talking about that it's going to be tough to do so with Justin Steele pitching tomorrow for Chicago. 5-0 and with a 1-4-5 ERA. Let's hope the Cardinals keep rolling, he says. Yeah, man, Justin Steele was a miss for me. I could have had him in a fantasy league, and I didn't trade for him. Uh, I did not anticipate this from him. He's been great. Uh, but you got Jordan Montgomery, and he would be the ace, I would say, of this Cardinals staff right now. So uh, low-scoring game tomorrow, potentially. I, I could definitely see that. Seth says, what did Castillo have when we played Seattle earlier? Yeah, Castillo's numbers were really good. The Cardinals were able to get some stuff against him. So uh, we'll see if they can uh, keep this going and uh, ride it into a four-game winning streak against a guy that's that's pitched pretty well. Sean says, do you think they trade O'Neal? I think they could, um, but I also think they might not get anything for him. So, like, he's injured right now. He hasn't performed. What are you getting for him? Is it a change of scenery type deal? That could benefit O'Neal more than it would the Cardinals if it happened. Ryan says that O'Neal finished third in the MVP vote, which is false. Um, so gave me shit for saying a word wrong, and he's lying in the chat. <laughs> he did not finish third in the MVP vote. Um, I think he finished ninth, but he did finish top ten. That's notable. But Ryan, no, I, I don't I think that was definitely his peak. Um, but is it is it a peak to finish in the top ten the MVP vote that he can re- regain? I think is the question that the Cardinals would ask, or could he even just forget top 10 and MVP? Can he just be a 750 OPS that plays gold glove defense and left? Because that would be productive, but he has not been that guy offensively, and I don't know if you're going to see it from him in a Cardinal uniform at this point. I hate to sour on a guy. I like Tyler O'Neill a lot. The Cardinals vibe when he goes well, but you just can't 
assume that he's going to going to find it with what we've seen in recent years. The grave of Einstein. It seems like Einstein's comments always come later on in the stream. Uh, at B Schaefer 12 me, Einstein, DM me. I want to know, are you commenting the whole time and I just don't see you till the end? Is that a YouTube thing? Because I need to get that fixed if you've been commenting all the while. Uh, he says, remember the one time Zach Thompson hit 100 on the radar gun exactly once and then never threw that hard again? What happened? Um, he did it more in the minors, actually, Einstein, than, than I think we realized. But that's a hard thing. I mean, Jordan Hicks threw 105 like twice and has never done that again. He's more 103. It's just, you know, guys hit their peak velocity and then sometimes they're not that guy. I think Zach Thompson probably won't end up doing that a ton in the future if he's a starter, though, because it's easier to sit 95, 96 than to, to be firing triple digits as a, as a reliever. It's a lot easier to do. B. Wells said that, I said tonight about Goldie seems so far away. So some other people noticing that maybe a, a, a stance change for Paul Goldschmidt moving further away in the box Something to keep an eye on. I'll be I'll be paying attention to that tomorrow, guys. Uh, thanks for bringing it up because I missed some stuff too. CJ says needs some uh, needs to sweep tomorrow after a huge win. Absolutely true. And uh, Einstein says all the Buster only quotes about Contreras are hilarious. Yes, I do care about what Jerry Reimsdorf have to has to say about if Contreras can catch the long time more than anyone else. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The rival execs those those rival exec quotes you always got to take them for what they're worth grain of salt, understand that, you know, there's an agenda to some of those things. Einstein says he's just browsing YouTube and the streams pop up and the recommended. He's just late, not anything YouTube related. That's good to know. I think I've made it to, to the end of the questions here. Um, Ryan would mention, so now if you want to comment, I'm going to see your comment for sure if you comment within the next couple of minutes. But hour 45 coming up, we're going to get out of here soon. Uh, once again, I will plead and beg for the subscriptions with the uh, the few dozen folks that are left in here. If you guys could sub me on YouTube, I'd respect that. Uh, Ryan says Contreras should be starting catcher right now, not in three weeks. I get it, and I agree, but I also like what Kisner is doing and the fact that he's getting the opportunity. Um, I wish the circumstances were different. But I would say this about Contreras. He should start this week against when Wainwright pitches. And then he should take every Wainwright start and then slowly expand out beyond that. That's kind of the way I view it for Contreras. Like once you've made this bonehead decision to sort of take him out of the running for a little bit, you've got to ease him back in. And Waino is the way to do it. I wouldn't wait another five days. I'd do it this week. Einstein says that Justin Steele's fastball is going to get crushed when people figure out it sucks, by the way. Count on it. All right. I'll be looking, I'll be looking out for that too. Uh, Trevor wants a final score tomorrow. Oh, um, bullpen's going to be an issue if Monty doesn't go seven. That's the one thing I'll say. But I'll go five two birds. Um, man, I don't feel confident in that. It's going to be lower scoring than that. Even four two birds. It's Cardinals can get this win, but I think it's low scoring. Uh, I think you get a seven inning outing from Jordan Montgomery. That's what I think is going to happen. Seven innings, two runs. I don't know if Helsley's available. Maybe Geo rubber band arm goes back after a clean ninth. You could go Geo Helsley off, off the sheet. Uh, Helsley's gotten a lot of usage, man. But I'll go four two tomorrow for the Cardinals. Um, they get a couple off steel, and maybe they get three off steel, one off the bullpen, something like that. Rob says, "Great show as always, brother. We need a place to vent. Appreciate you for joining, Rob. Means a lot. Uh, and Stratton is always available, except for not tomorrow because he pitched a ton today." 
Einstein says he's good, but not good enough to make up for the terrible four-seamer and the shape that's on it. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, they've got track, man. They've got all that data. Steele probably would want to work on some of that if that's something that's going on there. And Ryan already subbed. If you haven't subbed, sub for me. Appreciate you guys, as always, for watching and listening uh, to B-Shape Daily Live. B-Shape Daily will be, uh, I'm going to go right to Spotify after this, load it up so you'll have it there in the morning to listen to anything you may have missed. Uh, it's also going to be on YouTube, and I'll, I'll repackage some of the good little video nuggets if I can think of any from this uh, episode, and I'll put it out there on some videos. So thank you guys so much for joining. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily Live. Peace.